Uh, so this is Kevin Richards from the University of Illinois. I'm coming back with another segment of going behind the research. Um, and so just to, to reorient everybody, uh, rather than providing a forum to discuss research that's conducted in health and physical education, the going behind the research segment focuses on telling the stories that surround research uh, that we read in scholarly journals. Globally, the segment aims to humanize research by providing a forum to discuss the motives that draw researchers towards topics and studies, challenges and successes experienced along the way, and lessons learned that transcend individual journal publications uh, and impact future research decisions. Each episode features an interview with one or more members of an authorship team to discuss the stories behind a selected publication, um, including uh, a brief overview of uh, the study. We, we work off of a common interview guide um, so th that there's a little bit of consistency across um, the interviews, but of course we end up going off in different directions and following fun tangents uh, as they come up. Uh, and I'm, I'm extremely excited today. Uh, one of my good friends and colleagues is here to join me, Jen walton Fissette. Um, and, uh, and Jen is going to talk with us about uh, her uh, recent publication, Interactive Policy Work in Ohio, Curriculum, Pedagogy, and Assessment. Jen, it's, it's really good to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Um, yeah, and so uh, Sue Sutherland was, uh, was one of the, worked with you on this article, right? Yeah, so Sue and I have done a lot of work together. And so we just, con this is a, co a continuation of work that we have done uh, for a period of time now. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to uh, to hearing more about it. Um, of course, um, I, I don't think that there's enough policy research that's done uh, in the spheres of physical education. And and you and Sue and a few others, um, uh, Dylan Landy among them, uh, have, uh, have, have really started to kind of spearhead some of this uh, work stateside. So excited to hear about it. Sure. So for this paper, I'll have to talk about some of the work with Dylan and Sue leading up sure. to this. Um, and so in 2020, um, Sue and I wrote um, Time to Shape Up uh, article in PESP. Um, and Kevin's laughing because it has you know sparked some controversy ultimately because it really um, critiqued um, <clears throat> our K-12 and initial teacher education standards and physical education here in the U.S. <clears throat> Excuse me, have a little cold. Um, but And so based on that work, we started to look at policy more broadly. Um, and so that's the work that we did with Dylan and really looking at policy from fiscal activity and bigger picture of what that looks like and how there's a paucity of social justice policy in general mm -hmm. when it comes to physical education in the US. Again, that context is important. This um, publication is an international journal. So it's in the cultural studies and health and physical education. And it was an invited paper. Well, I shouldn't say that. We were accepted to be in the special issue. <clears throat> So for this paper, when we started doing this work and with the standards, it started, we looking at a lot of policy documents and we argue that standards are policy documents. And we utilize different um, theoretical frameworks to look at this, but we were really fascinated about like, well, who really uses the standards? And because we argue that it drives curriculum instruction, yep. but does it really drive curriculum instruction? So it led us to do this. We did it at the state level. So this is specific to Ohio. Um, because we do have required assessments here in physical education, it is legislated um, that we have. We're one of the only states that has that. Um, and we were also the last state to adopt standards, um, adopt the national standards and then have state standards. So, you know, we're in this weird, you know, interesting place. And I've been here in Ohio. It's my 15th year. And all this happened pretty much during that time. <clears throat> so we started looking at basically curriculum mapping of different PE teachers across the different um, grade bands 
in different pockets of Ohio to see how people develop their curriculum. What does that look like? Does it incorporate the standards? Does it incorporate the assessments? And ultimately, it was really fascinating. Like there are quality PE teachers that we know of that we work with, with as mentor teachers. They work with our students. And they gave us a one page with, you know, words like transfer this or, you know, basketball or things like that. And it wasn't anything <laughs> really well developed. It was not connected to standards um, or assessments. Yet we all know that they do it. And we yeah. know that we work. And then we had, like, we took Columbus as an example. It's one of the larger um, school districts in Ohio that has an amazing curriculum mapping on their website. It's accessible. It is so detailed. And yet Sue works closely um, because she's, you know, at Ohio State. She's housed in Columbus. And she's like, but that's not what the teachers are doing at all. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so this was our initial work of do the policy documents really lend itself to curriculum instruction? And just because you don't have those policy documents in place, does that mean that you're not including them in your actual pedagogy? Yeah. So that's what this um, paper really was about. Yeah, yeah, really, really interesting. And thank you for that that great overview. Um, I'm sure our readers, our, our, our listeners rather, are going to want to read more. Um, and we'll get the article linked in the show notes for this episode. Um, uh, so, but, but now kind of shifting gears a little bit and getting more behind the research. Uh, let, let's start broad. Um, and so what got you interested in this research topic or area more generally? So focusing on policy, um, uh, you know, in, in this particular article, what, what led you here and how does this study fit into your broader line of inquiry, which you already kind of hinted at a little? So my broader line of inquiry is about social justice and equity in fiscal education, both in Pete and in K through 12. And so that is really where my scholarship has lent itself over the past five, six, seven years. Um, and as you start getting into what I call like micro transformation, like the more micro, like smaller level, you realize that if you're going to change when it comes to equity and justice, there are so many systemic barriers. There's so many systemic issues. And so, you know, we work from the inside of, you know, interviewing different Pete and Heat faculty to see what's going on for programs. But then we're like, well, there's all these policies that are in place and standards being one of them that really is one barrier or factor. Mm -hmm. And so for Sue and I, we started looking at things more broadly of where we can have an impact to create change systemically. Part of it too is where we are in our careers. We are both full professors and we can navigate this work where if you are a pre-tenure faculty member, um, you may choose to do it. I met with a doctoral student at U of I um, just a couple of weeks ago that's interested in this work, but we feel that we have the social capital to do this. We have the time we have much more knowledge and experience in, in this arena. And so that's why we started going big, looking at policy more broadly nationally. But through that work, because we are a local control mm -hmm. society when it comes to education and policy, really it's the state level that drives work. And so going from a national for this paper, we said, let's look at the state. Sue and I happen to both be in the same state. Sure. We are both very involved at our state conference and organization. And so that's when we really started saying, let's delve into this um, a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. love that. And um, uh, it, it, it's just one of my favorite parts about being in higher education is being able to collaborate and work with such fantastic people. And, you know, it's really nice when you've got some of those people in your own backyard, like yes. you to being in the same state and 
you have similar research interests and topics, and, and I know that you've been uh, collaborating for years. So it, it's really one of my favorite parts of, of the job. Yeah, I love it too. And I, I mean, I always say how grateful I am for Sue. We both say that we see each other, for each other for the first time in Illinois, just a, you know, in person, just a couple of weeks ago in three years. And we're like, we we're going to continue collaborating. We're already thinking about our our next steps that we want to do. Oh, that's wonderful, wonderful. Um, so uh, talk to us about the process of setting up this study and the methods that you used. Uh, what did you learn, uh, maybe from a methodological perspective, that that you're carrying forward with you coming off of this project? Yeah. So. You know, I'm a qualitative researcher and I mostly work with people. <laughs> so doing document analysis is a completely different form of methodology. And so this paper, as well as the other two that we've done on standards and policy, really is a document analysis. Mm. Um, and using key frameworks that are from Stephen Ball and network theory and Dawn Penny's work. She's just amazing from Australia that has done it in our field specifically. Um, but it's really fascinating of, we have over 600 school districts here in Ohio. I would have like, we, so we solicited, um, you know, PE teachers in different regions. We identified different regions and we went on a lot of websites. So what was accessible, but as you know, a lot of education, the K through 12, um, websites are horrible. Yep. Um, and so then of course we did reaching out to people, both that we knew through our state organization but then also partnerships that we have just from placing our students, sure. uh, working with them collaboratively. Personally, I think going through this process, I wish we had more curriculum to look through and across more districts. I think we ended up having 12 or 15 districts. When you look at the numbers out of 600, that's not a lot. Uh, but there's a lot of small districts you know, here in Ohio. So I would have liked to do that more broadly. What we're what and that's what we're planning on doing next. Like ultimately, yeah. we want to actually interview and meet with teachers individually mm -hmm. to get a better sense. Because as I said at the beginning, you know, we looked at this from a policy document, a document analysis lens. So that really takes I don't want to say the person out of it, but with qualitative research, when you're used to doing interviews and observations and journaling and all these other things, like that's not there. Yeah, so you no, just no. looking at the document itself. And so I actually would like to collect more documents, but it cannot be devoid of the person because what we learned through the findings of this study was that, as I said beforehand, there's not a linear progression. So it doesn't mean if you have the policy or the documents, that means you're doing the work. Right. Just because you don't have it doesn't mean you're not doing the work. And so we really want to delve into um, working with different PE teachers to, to study and learn about what are they doing? How do they develop the curriculum? How do the policies, the standards, the assessments drive their curriculum or not and why? And then, of course, infusing that from an equity and justice perspective. Like this paper, we lend itself a little bit to equity and justice, but it wasn't as overt. Mm -hmm. And I think that we would like to integrate that more overtly in our next project that we are hopefully planning on starting to do soon. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you touched on this a little bit, and I definitely agree with your perspective on, um, you know, I, communicating with people, interviewing people, observing people, in addition to working with documents. Um, but um, I did a document analysis for the first time, I don't know, uh, three or four years ago on the history of, of TPSR uh, after Don Hellison had passed away. So we had nothing but, you know, the documents, the books, uh, transcripts um, of, of conversations that had been done with him. We had all this kind of secondhand stuff. Um, and, and from a methodological perspective, it was really hard to find guidance in our field on that. There aren't, 
a ton of people, at least from what I've seen, who have done you know straight document analysis work. And maybe that's because of the reasons why you're getting at that you know it's so important to include participant voices as well. Um, but but I think that the, the mere fact that that what people say that they're doing could not be what they are doing is a worthwhile finding that is is definitely interesting and following up on it. It seems like you've got plans to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what we're looking for. We want to seek out more districts, more participants, but really speak to the teachers themselves. Yeah. Uh, take a look, like, what do they have on the website? That might not even be what they actually do. So what actually is, what is their curriculum? What is their curriculum mapping? How do they develop that mapping? What does their instruction actually look like? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and then for us, assessment too, because of course we're, yeah. We are, we are a state that adopts the national standards and assessments now, and so we have to. Uh -huh. So no matter what, when SHAPE does roll out the new standards, we have to adopt them. So yeah. soon I, of course, want to be on the board to develop the state-level standards. That'll affect the assessments. Sure. But like I said, it is legislated here that they have to, at the end of every grade band, so second grade, fifth, eighth, and then high school, they have to implement, there's 10 different assessments that they implement two for each of the standards that goes on the state report card. Oh, wow. And then we talked about that in the paper too, to set up of like, how do we, how did the standards come to be in Ohio? How did the assessments come to be to let, be legislated? And that's in the paper with a little bit with Dylan, or actually that's a book chapter with Dylan and Sue as well of, but what really, what scores are really sent to the state? It doesn't have a lot of teeth. I mean, at right. the end of the day, teachers could just make it up if they want to, if they don't believe sure. in it. And so- it's really getting into with people. And I, you know, Sue and I know a lot of people here in Ohio, but there's way more teachers than that we don't know. Sure. And so I would like to make sure that we are getting to districts and, and teachers that we are just not even tapping into yet. <laughs> yeah, it makes me think about those old, um, or maybe they're not old, maybe they're still legislated, uh, when schools were required to have like wellness plans, school-wide wellness yep. plans. And um, the, 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 the feedback that I heard and, and some of the evidence that I saw from research was kind of along the lines of what you're saying. They would develop something on paper and, and call it a wellness plan, but then that wouldn't translate it all into action. Yep. And then that's what we're looking for is we're looking for action. And then how can that, you know, impact us when we will, are going to be working on the, the standards? And that, that's a whole other argument of whether yeah. you believe in standards or not believe in standards and all of that. And I'm not going to be able to change that. We're in the standards-based education, so I'm not going to be able to influence that. So okay, what do we have to, to, you know, to work with? And then the other component for us too, and I think that this is going to likely be two separate studies, is that, again, our work is about equity and justice. Yep. So living in the state of Ohio, where there's so much legislation that impedes a focus on equity and justice and actually takes away rights, um, how does that imp impact the pedagogy, of course, of our teachers? It mm -hmm. is impacting it, but we need to start learning about the ways in which that is impacting them. So it is fascinating of looking at it from multiple lenses, um, but ours will certainly from be from an equity and justice perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, cool. So, uh, you know, thinking uh, a little bit differently now, or I guess driving the conversation in a little bit of a different direction, how has this study informed your scholarly identity or your future research activities? So in other words, what did you learn here that influenced the work that came after or the work that will be coming after? Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is fresh, hot off the press, right? It yep. just came out, I think, last month. Um, but, you know, the way the publishing works. So it's been a little while. And so it's it's really interesting. I have two strands that are going on. I have equity and justice and I have policy. Yep. Yep. And they need to connect together. 
ultimately. And so I need to try to work and bridge both of these worlds. And so I shared about from this paper where Sue and I are looking to do and to go. Um, but even like on Friday, Risto had the ARA and um, ISEP, SIG, I part, I was a yep. you know, panelist on that. But then there were two tracks of what you, you, I mean, five tracks, but one was social justice and one was policy. And I was like, but I want to be able to talk about both. Yep, yep, right? yep. And so it really, I'm looking to make sure that these two are brought together yep. while it's being developed, not just critiquing how it's not equity and equitable and justice, but that it we are developing it with that mindset mm. going going forward. And so I feel like right now, because they are revising the shape standards, and I'm already doing policy work here in, in Ohio, just more from a director of teacher ed position than even from my faculty position or, you know, working with OFERD, is how can we be proactive to, to looking at it from an equity and justice perspective as we're developing policy versus fighting against policy that is not equitable and just. And so right. that is where I want to head with my work. Mm, yeah, that's that's really interesting. And and I think you're right. I think that that um, uh, you know, as you're kind of pushing the the the, the policy agenda forward, uh, if you're integrating and weaving through the social justice justice conversation, then it's kind of part and parcel. Um, so you know, as that stuff gets heard at, at the state level, and um, and as you're publishing off of this work, and you know, um, uh, uh, presenting off of it, we're we're getting kind of those those twin messages of really advancing policy work particularly as it relates to to promoting a social justice agenda. Yeah, because ultimately in all the work that, so I think if we have like three or four articles when it comes to policy, the argument is there's no focus on equity and justice. Well, okay, we pretty much know that. Yeah, Across most policy, right? Like we know that, and there's now it's just evidence showing that in these different arenas, but what are we doing about it? Yep. You know, and we're constantly trying to work from, you know, the, like within trying to tease this out and trying to find little pockets of where we can have like some equity and justice, but it should be the framework yeah. on how we're developing so much of this. And so I don't, I don't have experience doing that. Right. Cause I've been the one to challenge and question the status quo and, you know, come from a criticality perspective. And so now I'm hoping that I can have influence where I can, you know, develop that. And I'll be honest, like, you know, I'm not on um, the standards um, revision team. I was not asked um, to be on it, and that's fine, whatever. Um, you know, I have given feedback from different pockets of ways of doing that, and honestly, that feedback is not even being taken. Um, and so I have no idea. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm having influence at the national level of trying to create that change while there's an opportunity for change to happen. And yeah. I know there's some great people on there that hopefully are able to do that, but I know that I have influence at the state level. Right. And so even right. like right now, I'm like, OK, so how do we change the legislation so that Ohio does not have to adopt the national standards from shape? Like so that's like an area, too. Right. That's not going to be in my scholarship, but that's going to be in my work that actually influences my scholarship. Absolutely. That could be a huge change and huge impact. And so and then ultimately, like and you know this because you do so much on occupational socialization theory. Right. Does it even matter? <laughs> Do the standards matter? Do the policies matter? Because are they just going to do what they want to do anyway? Right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think that that's the, the that's one of the 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 key questions I think that that we have to grapple with as a field. But what I do think I feel comfortable saying is that it's better to have them than to not have them. 
right? And so, like, I you, you kind of hinted at the fact that you know we could have a whole separate conversation about the merit of standards and this kind of standard-based paradigm of education we've been living in for you know however many years now, 40, 50 years, whatever it's been. Um, and I'm I'm not a, I'm not a huge lover of standards for for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I know that a lot of people feel that way as well. Um, but the reality is, is that that's the current paradigm. So if, if we want to, you know, be recognized and, and play the game, then we have to play it within the framework that's laid out. Yep, that's exactly right. And I mean, I, I don't, I'm not favorable to the standards, um, to standards in general. To me, that is just, if you're going to look at it from an equity and justice perspective, that means equality. They're all the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's what you're striving for, regardless of context, regardless of identity and culture. And so I could argue against that all day long. Sure. At the same time, they also can be a guide, right? So if we want a guide, well, then we have to make sure that it's looking at it from an equity and justice perspective. Absolutely. And that, that's included. And so that's where my work is going. And I look at standards as policy documents. So that is the connection of getting to, you know, policy. Again, policy can be so many different things. Sure. Um, and so, but what we we know as we have talked numerous times that there's not a lot of policy work in PE, mm. certainly not in the US um, at all. So what, and there's so many different lenses of how you can do it. So far, I've looked at it from a document analysis perspective, an argument for what is needed. Um, but what are the other barriers that are preventing us for having any forms of policy or are not in PE, what are policies that are in place that are conflating our profession, which we know that there are definitely many, right? I mean, we know from a federal perspective, but then also at the state level. I mean, that's what's great about going to different states doing this work. I was doing stuff in Colorado, Illinois, like different states. Every state has different policy. Well, what's expected for PE and health? Well, that then of course influences what we do as teacher educators. They have such a significant impact because if health is not a requirement for K through 12 students, well, then why would you prepare your pre-service teachers in health mm. they're not teaching it, right? Or if you don't need to have a specialist, like what does that look like? So there's so many different levels of, of what it um, needs to be. Um, and so I'm well-versed in Ohio. I would argue that for change to occur, it has to be at the state level right. and then, of course, the local levels. And so that is where a big shift has happened for me from doing yeah. it from like a national perspective, funneling down to the state and then hopefully empowering teachers to then do it at their local level because school boards have so much power. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so how can we empower them to be able to be advocates and work on this at the, at the local level? So really that's where the funneling for me, where that's going. Yeah. Yeah. And, and bringing it down to the teachers and, developing those advocacy skills at the local level. I mean, that that dovetails with a lot of the the research that I think about as well, um, you know, looking at marginalization and how we navigate contexts in which physical education or physical education teachers are treated as less than. Um, and, 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 you know, we usually think about socialization from, from kind of a school level perspective, like the people and policies that you interact with at a school level. But but your work in policy, and, I, and I've cited it toward, towards this end before, um, really illustrates how these socialization in influences come from above the school level as well, from policy mandates and from other work that you've done, uh, popular culture as well, looking at how yeah. teachers are represented in film and literature and other spaces. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, you know, do you have any stories accompanying the process of completing this investigation that you feel comfortable sharing to give us a little bit of a look under the hood and, and bonus points if you've got anything that can make us laugh? 
Yeah, I don't know if I can make any anything laugh. And, you know, part of it is just how Sue and I work together, which is, you know, you partner with so many different people. And um, we are in some ways a well-oiled machine of just how we operate. Um, but what was really interesting in the writing process, you know, we always take different sections, um, you know, who's leading what. It's always, always a collaborative process. But even though we were using pseudonyms for some of the teacher identities, um, and this is an international journal. <clears throat> we were, we were concerned that people here in Ohio, at least if they read the article that they would be identifiable. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how do you, um, hang on a second. Sorry about that. Um, how do you talk about a district, you know, you're focusing on Ohio, you're talking about a district, you're talking about a teacher. You're using policy documents that are available on the website and not identify someone, right? And so that was a really difficult thing. Yeah. Awesome. I think that it's important, you know, as we kind of do this type of work to have those conversations and to have those thoughts because, you know, the last thing that you want is to to put somebody in a position because they've become identifiable. Um, you know, I, I, I've had to think about that a lot over the last few years as I've gotten more involved in, in faculty work, looking at, you know, doing research and interviews with with people in higher education. And, you know, there are only so many uh, PE programs out there, only so many faculty, considerably less than there are uh, PE teachers, especially if we talk regionally or even within states. So it's really forced us, uh, my team and I, as, we, as we've been involved in that work, to, to think really carefully and a little bit outside of the box and and then to push back on journals that want more information because yep. we're concerned that it'll make it identifiable and say, no, we don't feel comfortable sharing that. And we had to definitely do that. But of course, it takes away the juicy details, right? Yes. And yep. qualitative researchers, you like to, you know, expand, elaborate and paint the picture. And then all of a sudden you're like, OK, it's just somebody that we can't even relate to because you can't describe them. So it's like, oh, that that's a little bit boring. But yeah. I guess ultimately it's not about the person because, again, this is a document analysis. But as we can move forward with this work, that's going to become really trickier. And I don't, I don't know yet how we're going to, you know, best navigate that while still having rich description of the participants, of the context um, on there. Since we are localizing this so much, the state of Ohio, we are going to be very clear that we are because, again, yep. policy is what is, you know, framing this work. Sure. Sure. And I think that, you know, a big a big takeaway message for me and, and maybe for some of the folks listening in there as well is just remembering that the ethics of research are not always clean cut. It's a negotiation. It requires that we continue to ask questions along the way um, to, to, to make sure that we're acting ethically and responsibly while also sharing the information in a meaningful in a meaningful manner. Yep. I, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we're, we're kind of moving towards the end here. Uh, before we close out the segment, is there anything else um, you'd like to share about this particular investigation or your broader research agenda that maybe we haven't had a chance to talk about? Well, I'm, no, I wouldn't say, I guess no. But ultimately, when you're doing social justice and equity work, um, you, you get a lot of resistance. You, yeah. if you're doing policy work, you're doing social justice work. <laughs> so I'm in the two areas that just face a lot of resistance. Um, and I guess I would just say for the listener to be a critical consumer, regardless of what you are reading, because if you're interested in work on policy or standards or whatever it may be, there are so many different lenses on how you can view this work. And I guess I would just argue and ask um, for the listener to look at it from an equity and just perspective, because there is a paucity of that. 
um, aside from things that are being tapped, you know, people are just adding some things here and there because of the way that things have been the past couple of years, even though there's resistance to that now, um, that this work is hard. Um, and so it is so important to find at least one other person. I'm so grateful to have Sue that we have, you know, like-mindedness tremendously because sometimes you just want to give up and you don't yeah. want to do the work. And at the end of the day to do have impact and influence, sometimes you have to really push against the grain and do it for a long period of time. Yeah. And so I'm just going to ask the readers to have a critical perspective to think about things from a justice and equity perspective and to not give up if you're trying to do this work. Um, certainly feel free to reach out to me or Sue um, at any time to have an ally and to have a supportive person, um, you know, in this work because it's important. Um, yeah. And we have 50 states in the U.S. alone. And so we are doing this work in Ohio, but we need other people to do the work in other states too. Yeah. Yeah. And if I could say, uh, Jen, you know, having had a chance to work with you in a variety of capacities over the years, I think that you really model those things well uh, for, for all of us, um, young scholars, but, but, but more advanced scholars as well, who could probably learn a few things about how to be critical while being kind and caring and, um, and, you know, the kind of person who, who um, you know, I'm really happy and, and proud to call a friend and a colleague. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, so before we hop off here, um, you know, because we are trying to get to know the stories behind the research, it's kind of fun to end with some rapid fire style questions to help us get to know, <laughs> get to know you a little bit better. So um, <laughs> I have six categories. Are you comfortable giving me your quickest response? Sure. Well, okay. <clears throat> Favorite color? Orange. Okay. Okay. Favorite animal? A koala or um, a giraffe? Oh, those are great animals. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is the question that you get some really kind of fun responses on. Michael Hemphill said duck, which just came out of left, <laughs> left wheel to me. And then, and then Justin Hagel said some made up combination of three different animals that I'd never heard of before. <laughs> uh, I love it. I love koala bears. When I was uh, when I was in Australia, I got to see koalas and oh, sanctuaries. It was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's only been in a zoo. I just was there on Friday. It was like, oh, they're oh, so fun. Yeah. Um, okay, so a uh, favorite season of the year. Ooh. You know that I'm a Libra, so here's a little tidbit more. You know, like I'm all about the scales and the balance. I'll just say this: I despise winter <laughs> with a passion. Fall has always been my favorite, but that means when winter is and you know impending and which is makes me anxious sometimes at this time of year um spring we really don't have anymore here in ohio so that can't be my favorite and summer i love the longer days even though the heat well okay so i guess a combination of summer and fall would be um you know my favorite like what we this past october was beautiful it was perfect yeah. that that's the weather i'll take i'll happily yeah. take that oh wonderful yeah uh, favorite place on earth Oof. I will just say this, the ocean. Yeah. I'm an ocean girl. I'm okay. from the ocean state, the little one of Rhode Island. And so for me, I don't have to be in Rhode Island you know, to love the ocean. I just need to be at an ocean. And, you know, you're in the Midwest too of being like, oh, I, I feel like sometimes I suffocate when I'm living, you know, more inland the way that I have been, especially once I come back from being at the ocean. But the ocean is my absolute favorite place. Yeah, I was just going to say you picked the exact right place to live in the country. Ohio's got all the ocean. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> it, it's so, uh, yeah. 
that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, the last two. Uh, favorite food? No, that is really, it really depends on my mood. It used to always be like chicken parmesan when I was growing mm. up, but now I'm like some days I love, you know, having chicken michui and other days, you know, and, and Lebanese food and then Italian. So I don't really have a favorite food. I just love food in general. And I'm, yeah. I'm mostly a health conscious eater, but I enjoy eating a wide variety of ethnicities, um, different cultures. And wherever I am, I want to immerse myself in yeah. what they're known for and what they specialize in. Like, so that, so my favorite food is depending on where I'm at, I guess. Love that. Love that. Um, uh, chicken parm was the first thing you said. And that's like one of the things that my mom used to always make so well when I was growing up. And, uh, one of the first things that I learned to cook and actually think that I do a pretty decent job with. Good for you. Yeah. I haven't even tried that, but I mean, same thing for me growing up and, you know, we didn't get to go out to eat very often. So it was like once or twice a year and I'm like, oh, chicken Parmesan. Like, so I think I have that, but you know, now of course I'm so privileged that I get to have most things that I want. Yeah. Um, well, cool. So last question along the same lines, uh, favorite thing to drink. Okay. Well, if I'm going non-alcoholic, <laughs> I will say it's hot cinnamon spice tea by Hardy oh. Sons. Love that with particular silk soy creamer. Best combination. If I am going an alcoholic beverage, it is a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc for Ooh, sure. New Zealand wise. New Zealand in particular. Like it just is the, for me personally, the best, best wine. Um, and that is that is my choice of preference if I'm having an adult beverage. That's that's great. Thank you so much, Jen, for playing along, um, and uh, and thank you for for joining me uh, again on this on this segment of going behind the research. Um, as always, thanks to Risto Martinen, who uh, hosts the broader Playing with uh, Research and Health and Physical Education podcast, for for giving me a little bit of flexibility and license to to, to go down this rabbit hole um, and to post them on the on the podcast. At least he's done that so far. Um, the, the link to Jen's article will be in the, in the show notes. Um, and, and thank you just so much again for joining me. Thanks. I appreciate it, Kevin. Yep. All right. Uh